come on, Bryce. There are a lot more important problems in Sri Lanka to worry about. Like what? Well, we have to end apartheid for one, and slow down the nuclear arms race, stop terrorism, and world hunger. We have to provide food and shelter for the homeless, and oppose racial discrimination, and promote civil rights, while also promoting equal rights for women. We have to encourage a return to traditional moral values. Most importantly, we have to promote general social concern, and less materialism in young people. Welcome everyone to My Bleeding Ears Podcast. This is episode number 130. I'm Larry, your host. With me today is Jessalyn. Hello. It is her movie of the week, so mm-hmm. please stay tuned uh, until after we do some of our little reviews here. We have about like five or six. We have a few seasons we're going to go over, and that's about it, really. So Yeah, we didn't watch a whole lot of movies. We no. watched two. One of them is a throwaway the other one. Yeah, was yeah. We'll get to those in a second. But yeah. one thing I did start getting back into is seasons of of TV shows. True. Or, um, yeah, yeah. Which I I really cut out a lot of. I just focused on movies maybe for the last couple of years. Maybe there was like a season of something that I'll watch. Uh, Game of Thrones is probably like the last big series that I watched. Mm-hmm. But now I gotten back into it a little bit. With a couple of series that I can just fucking binge. And uh, the, the first one was, uh, which I've been hearing about for a while, and people were like, oh, you gotta check it out. And it's on season two, is The Boys. Mm-hmm. Which we is... just watched both seasons to their conclusion. Yes. Um, possibly a third season, maybe. We'll see, probably, because this is a very, very popular show. Right. But, but it, it could end. That was what I said when we yes. watched the last episode. This could be over right now. Yes. And but I would be fine. Me too. But it's not. <laughs> I don't it think it is. Be. Because yeah. it's very popular right now. Mm-hmm. And it's good. It, it, it's a good show. I like it a lot. It was yeah. fun. The first episode of the first season, I was pretty hooked from there. And it just worked on and on. And you were given enough information throughout the series to keep you hooked and everything. So, yeah, this, this is a very well done um, superhero show quotation marks because the superheroes aren't the heroes necessarily of this show. Um, a lot of antiheroes, yeah. They're not even antiheroes. <laughs> they're, they're villains. No matter how mm. you slice it, uh, I guess you could say antihero, but they're not heroes. It depends on, I guess, where where you sit on the spectrum here of of them being heroes. Are you? Are you in the dark, and you just cheer for these superheroes because they're super, and don't really dig in any deeper than that? Or are you someone who questions this and yeah. sees the holes and and the superheroes? So it, it's very interesting show, and it's action packed, funny. Carl Urban's great. All he, 
you get to like all the characters on the show, even the even the ones you don't like, you like. Yeah. Like uh, the Homelander. Yeah, I mean, you don't <laughs> you like hate Homelander, that guy, but, but you great. sympathize with Homelander. Yes. A lot, actually. And there's like points in the show where you're, you're like, you want him to change, but yeah. yet, I mean, he never really does, but there's at least that opening. So yeah, it's a well-written show. It's it's a good time. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Now, we did watch another show, too, and it just came out, and we... Two days. We knocked this show out in two days. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the uh, uh, the follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House. It is The Haunting of Bly Manor. On Netflix. Yep. Oh, By uh, Mike Flanagan, who yes. you've always loved. And yep. I've always really liked. Yep. Uh, honestly, you go first. What no, I think? want you to go first on okay. this one because you started watching the show again the I next did. day. <laughs> I cried a lot in like the last four episodes. It's hard for me to be the one who starts because I don't want to wreck it for mm-hmm. anybody who <clears throat> wants to see it. Um, don't expect the first one. That's what I'll... That's what I, right. Actually, I'll open it up I right agree. now. Don't expect... The Haunting of Hell House. It's different. Hill House. And not just a different story. It's a different feeling. Mm-hmm. Although I will say the first one is about... The first season, The Haunting of Hill House, is about love. Different mm-hmm. kinds of love. Um, and the second one, I feel like it's definitely about different kinds of love. It is a ghost story, right. but... At its core, it's it's a love story, mm-hmm. and it, yes. it's familial love, it's romantic love, it's love for a child. I feel like Mike Flanagan has outdone himself with this second season. I loved this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I I liked it, and it took a little while for me to like it because the first few episodes do kind of drag a, a little. little until you watch it again. Yes, true. Mm-hmm. And I and. Something held me back, because this is based on The Turning of the Screw, mm-hmm. and a m- month or two ago, I watched that horrible fucking uh, adaptation of it called The Turning. It's terrible. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. So, you get kind of that story, or the basis for that story, in this show. Right. Just like The Haunting of Hill House is based on the story The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, mm-hmm. this is based on The Turning of the Screw mm-hmm. by James something. Tolstoy? Is that it? No, it's not it. <laughs> you said James. Tolstoy. I don't know. It's, I don't know. We're not like book readers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, that's just like the first literal literature person I could fucking think of, I, I guess. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it took me a little while longer. It is good, though. Pay attention to it. And uh, it'll be rewarding. It's beautiful. I cried a lot, and now I'm, like, crying through the entire season <laughs> because it's all tied together at the end, and then yes. you, when you rewatch the season, you know everything, and the tears will start to flow. I would equate this to uh, two Guillermo del Toro movies, all right? The Haunting of Hell House, oh, yes. I would say, is... Um, what's the one that takes place in... Um, Mexico, the one with the evil, the devil, chi- not the, the devil's backbone. The devil's backbone. Yeah. I would say the haunting of Hill House is the devil's backbone, and the uh, the haunting of Bly Manor is more. Uh, it would be would be akin to um, Crimson Crimson Peak. I would say in Ish. not necessarily yeah. 
the story wise and everything, but what you would expect from that director because a lot of people when they saw uh, Crimson Peak were expecting a Guillermo del Toro horror movie, but it was a Guillermo del Toro ghost love story. Yes. Now with the Devil's Backbone, more of creeping around the corner kind of thing, a little more. Uh, dead people walking around kind of thing so that's what i'm equating it to not necessarily the stories but what you're going to get from this mike flanagan thing it's not going to be the same as the haunting of hill house agreed and now i'm just i'm running through my head all the Mike, mike flanagan movies that i like and shows that i like i still feel like he's outdone himself in this one Bly manor i just love it because everything that he does essentially is about love Familial love, romantic love, everything that he does mm-hmm. is about that. Um, but in a horror setting. In a horror setting, <laughs> yeah. of course. And it could be beautiful. Ghosts. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this one is just, just beautiful. And if you're squeamish about horror movies or horror shows, c- come on and watch this one. It's this not going to yeah. scare you. It's yeah, uh, there's a few jump scares. Yeah. But uh, you're right on that. And there are some creepy things, but once you like get the story, then it isn't so creepy. Yeah. Kind of thing. Those devils become angels, and you know, oh, you're going the yeah. Jacob's ladder. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, but you're not wrong. You're yeah. not wrong. What? Once you, I don't want to ruin anymore. It's so good. Watch yes. it. Haunting of Bly Manor. All right. Now next, we saw a movie that's been kicking around for 10 years now that I've passed on multiple platforms and it's called Exam. Yeah, from 2010. 2010. Uh, I believe it's a British movie with Colin, Colin Salmon's in it. He's the only name. <laughs> right. Quote unquote name. We yeah. knew him. Right, the guy from yeah. the, the first Resident Evil movie and he's, he's in all of uh, Paul S.W. Anderson's movies yeah. and usually dies kind of in the beginning. Um, so yes, uh, this is a movie about... Uh, these, I want to say eight people, seven or eight people who get locked in this room for a job interview and they're given certain instructions to follow and, um, they try and figure out what the answer or what the, uh, what the question is for an answer that they need to give. Mm-hmm. And, um, people start fucking each other over, uh, they try different things. They're all given like this piece of paper with no- nothing written on it, and they're told not to spoil the paper. So they figure out that oh, maybe like there's invisible ink or something on there. So they're trying all these different things. They're destroying the this this room that they're in, <laughs> and it's uh, it's a pretty interesting movie. Um, so yeah, it, it was all right. Um, what, how do you how do you feel? And, I liked and, and, it. Uh, yeah, one of the rules is that they're not allowed to talk to the security guard who's in the room, and that includes, you know, addressing the entire room. If you do that, you're also address, addressing that security guard, and you get taken out. Right. It, it's an interesting concept. Um, you don't really know what the job is. It sort of starts to unfold that this is a job working for a scientist because there's some sort of virus taking over the world and they have to start worrying about who's infected and who's not but it doesn't become like a zombie movie like you think it will I think it plays a little closer to what's happening now in the world Mm -hmm. it's pretty creepy for 2010 (laughs) yeah it is yeah yeah it was Uh, alright so I liked it yeah it was an alright movie 
I don't think I'll probably ever watch it again, but no. yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fine movie. Check it out. What is it on Amazon Prime or Tubi? I have C Unlimited. I have C Unlimited. Yes. It. Yeah. Okay. Next, what do we got? I finished Shit's Creek. Ah, yes, Shit's Creek won all the awards. Yeah, it swept the Emmys. Um, it, it doesn't have anything to do with anything that we really talk about on this podcast, but it it's reminiscent of like Parks and Rec. Yeah, I just think it's very nice. And also very funny sitcom yeah, about I, people who lose everything monetarily and then just learn learn and grow to be good people who enjoy each other and who yes. appreciate other people. And it's a very chuckle-worthy show. Yeah. I've watched a few episodes from time to time with you. And yeah, it, it's pretty funny. Eugene Levy, of course, uh, his son also is in in the show. Dan a writer. Levy, yeah, uh, yeah. His character is probably the funniest and the best. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a good show. I I like all the characters so far. Even like Chris Elliott's fine. That dude, I, it bothers me. Like he's just not funny to me. You know? I hate that guy. Just, I, I yeah. shouldn't say hate. I don't wish any harm to Chris Elliott, but I would like him to not be in any of the shows right. I watch. Yeah. But he's tolerable in this. Yes, right. he is tolerable. Yeah. Uh, the daughter, I think, is hilarious, too. I, she's probably my favorite character. She's really funny. Uh, she grows on you, because she's not mm-hmm. likable at all in the beginning. None of them are, really, but her especially, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. check out uh, Shit's Creek. There's, what, six seasons? Six seasons. So it just aired its final season on Netflix. So good. Yeah. It's a funny show. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that it or we got more stuff? No, that's... Let me look. We had another b- movie that I didn't finish. I fell asleep during. Oh, yeah. Do you it. want to talk about it? Very briefly. Uh, okay. The I, Jack in the Box yeah, from 2019. Uh, Amazon Prime. I fell asleep during it. It's pretty fucking boring. It started out well and just kind of took a shit and then never yeah. wiped its ass. It so. starts out as a Jack in, bo- Jack in the Box who like wakes up and it turns out to be this demon box and he climbs out and he's a scary demon joker and he kills people. And then that's all it is for another hour, hour and 20 minutes. There's like no blood or gore in it. Not even scary. Yeah, fuck this movie. We won't even talk about it. Yeah. We'll get to our movie of the week. This one's really exciting. So we are going to go there after this. Mm-hmm. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening Our movie of the week is the 2000 film by Mary Heron and Jesselyn's pick for movie of the week, American Psycho. Now, you have been a huge fan of Christian Bale since you were very wee. 1992, I was 12, and it was Newsies. Picture it, 1992. The movie was Newsies. (laughs) I was a young woman. (laughs) Things were starting to tingle. Yeah. And I I found my muse. Starting to understand, like, uh, I think I mentioned before that my 
most confusing sexual awakening was probably David Bowie in 1986 with Labyrinth. Mm. But I didn't really know what that cod piece meant to me. Mm. And then in 1992, a 17-year-old Christian Bale graced the screen. <laughs> and I started so, to understand. So the funny thing about Labyrinth <laughs> is why you're confused about Christian Bale, about David Bowie. I was not confused about Jennifer Connelly. No, you I knew, knew exactly. I knew <laughs> from that point on that women was my thing. The difference, I think, and was Jennifer that Connelly she was, was her. Fifteen when that movie came out, and David uh-huh. Bowie's probably like thirty-six. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but hell, Jennifer Connelly could have been twenty-eight, and it wouldn't have fucking mattered. Sure, 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 sure. Still, still. So. Anyway, yeah, let's get back to the movie in question yeah. here, American Psycho. This is from 2000. You can rent or buy on Amazon. I bought it a long time ago. So. Yes. Now, I'll mention this before we start in the movie, that you read the book. The, I did. The book. After I saw the movie, many years after I saw the movie, I mm-hmm. was interested in the book, and I read the mm-hmm. book. So, yeah. So, while we're going through this, I'll be able to ask you questions about it, too, how it relates to the movie and... Mm-hmm. What was different, what was the same. So, all right, let's get this started. Um, the opening of the movie starts out with, like, a, a, like these guys dining, real rich guys, um, yuppies of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I remember seeing yuppies in the 80s, too, and not necessarily in movies, but just, like, how that was a thing and just how, like gross that was in a way you know like oh yuppies and you lived in the city so you um, actually got to witness yuppies yes i was from a really small town yeah. i only saw yuppies on tv i didn't really know what that right. was and yeah. i think a lot of people got the, a taste of yuppies from uh christmas vacation where those two uh uh, uh what's her veep yeah is there uh julie dreyfus is there <laughs> Yeah, the, like, and oh, why the is the carpet all wet, Todd? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, getting back. So yeah, this, uh, we open on this dinner with all these guys, these yuppies, and they're um, and they're already confusing themselves because <laughs> they all look yeah, the same. Not, and not at their own table. I mean, they're spying on other people at other tables, and they're like, "Oh, that's so and so," and then the other guy will be like, "No, it's not. That's blah blah blah." Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because, yeah, all these guys kind of do look the same. You know? mm-hmm. Slick, white, good-looking, slick-back-hair dudes. And they're all being, like, anti-Semitic and everything. One of them uh, confuses a dreidel with a menorah. Right. <laughs> and it's funny because, well, the funny part about that is that Patrick Bateman, who's the star, and, you know, the movie's called American Psycho for, the re- for a reason, mm-hmm. and he's the main character... But the fact that he tells one of his friends to cool it on the anti-Semitism is, <laughs> is interesting in the first scene. Because does he care? Not really. Not really. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> so yeah, this is just is like a cool opening scene to just like show our, 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 our yuppie guys or our businessmen or whatever they do. We don't really know what they do. They work in some office. And they dress really nice. They work for, yeah, they work on Wall Street, yeah. mergers and acquisitions. Do you know what that means? No, you don't. No, I, I, do I. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, they, they go to this club that's really loud. And, and it's full of, like, gothy people or just, like, club mm-hmm. people. And it's not, like, a scene necessarily where you'd see, like, yuppie guys hang out. But right. going to bars and, and having a dad who, for me... Having a dad who worked at bars and I was able to go into them 
And they weren't necessarily just like sports bars or dance clubs. Some of them were different. Some of them were like ravish in a way. Uh, and you would get all sorts of like goth people and things. Mm-hmm. And then occasionally you'd see like a group of uh, people who just kind of just didn't really fit in and who... I'm not saying they like couldn't be there or anything, but it's just weird to see a bunch of yuppies in like a goth bar, you yeah. know? It, it's just or like a rave party or something. It's just it's something that just kind of doesn't fit and, and makes you wonder in a way. It's not like it's bad or anything. It's just like you know, you're not here to have fun necessarily. And you're not here because you want to be. You you're here because there's something in here that you want. Yeah. So anyway. No, um, I get it. So at this club, Patrick Bateman, he threatens the bartender over, like, drink tickets or something. He some tries reason. to hand her drink tickets, and she's like, those aren't good anymore. This is a cash bar. And she's rude because mm. it's really loud and yeah. busy. So she goes to make his drinks, and he threatens her, but he's looking at himself in the mirror behind the bar. Right, and that's very, he, that's kind of important for this movie, yeah. too. He that, says something like, you're a fucking ugly bitch, right. uh, something or other, and then play around in your blood. Right. But it is important because she doesn't hear him, and did he even say that out loud? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that plays into the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. So. A very important piece. I'm glad you kind of picked that out, too. Yeah. Um, and then from our next scene, we get to see Patrick Bateman working out um, in Hellman. He is fit. <laughs> is yeah, uh, uh, this is Christian Bale at his most flawless, like, peak body face. He even got his teeth fixed for this film because his teeth aren't bad. His teeth are fine, but his teeth aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. And so he got veneers or whatever it is. He got them fixed done. up real nice. Yeah, to so. make it look like he's rich. <laughs> and he goes up. This is like a full, like, three or four minute scene Ray goes over what he does, how he cleans his body, how he works out, what he puts on his face, how he mm. avoids alcohol after in aftershave. And this is all in the kind of the book too, isn't it? This like, is all in the book. The book's in first person, narrated by Patrick Bateman, and it's just like pages and pages and pages of painstaking insanity. <laughs> and it starts with his regimen, his morning regimen, yeah. It's cleaned up real nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of that scene, I mean, you see him working working out, you see him showering, you see his butt. Uh, while he's showering, his body is flawless, his face is flawless, and while he puts on the mask that he talks about, it's a peel-off clear mask. And while he's peeling it off, he's looking in the mirror, and then he's narrating to you. He's not talking. You just mm-hmm. hear this narration. There is an idea of Patrick Bateman an abstraction mm-hmm. and then he says but underneath there's nothing inside yeah. so he's taking care of this like empty shell right of a person but there's nothing inside there's no he feeling no in feelings, there there's nothing. yeah there's yeah. other things in there that would occupy the feelings but has overcome them and yeah. do not exist anymore he, he just has this obsessive need to to fit in, and we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so there's nothing there. Uh, so then next, sorry. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the next is the office scene, is where he and where he's walking in his office for the first time. Yeah, where you get to see where he works, and and at this point, I feel like we need to talk about the soundtrack. Yes, the soundtrack's part of the movie. Mm-hmm. So it start. He's walking to into his office, and he's listening to "Walking on Sunshine" by. 
Katrina and the... Waves. Waves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what's funny about that is I listened to a mashup of, I think, Katrina and the Waves and a Slayer song on YouTube the other day. Uh-huh. And it was fucking hilarious. I think I might put it on at the end of this episode. All right. Because I had another ma- mashup, but I might put it up. But we'll see. I don't I'm know. curious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the soundtrack's going to be really important to this movie. So he walks in, he's listening to a Walkman, he's got like the old-timey, and by right. old-timey I just mean 80s. 80s Walkman. We all have these headphones yeah. and a Walkman, and he's walking into his office, and there we meet Chloe Svigny, his uh Secretary, assistant. yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, well, yeah, assistant. Yeah. So, Probably called her secretary in the 80s. Yeah. Let's call yeah. her an assistant in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yeah, and that's where he kind of like we get to see her and meet her and see what kind of person she is. You can tell that she's young. She doesn't have that much money. Uh, she hasn't been in the workforce all that long. She's naive. Uh, Patrick tells her that um, she should dress, wear like high heels, and show yeah. off a little more skin, kind of thing. Yeah, they're going over. I mean, she has notes for him. They're going over his appointments for the day. And then as she's walking out, he says, "Don't wear that outfit anymore." She goes, sorry, didn't hear you. And he enunciates. He says, I said, don't wear that outfit again. Mm. Wear a skirt or a dress and high heels. <laughs> I like high heels. And she sort of just rolls her eyes and walks out. Because yeah. that's what you do, mm-hmm. especially in the 80s when you're an assistant. Yes. Um, and then from this scene is um, we're in a cab with his fiance or girlfriend and uh simply irresistibles playing by uh oh damn it what's his robert name robert palmer robert palmer and it, again no it's... robert plant no robert palmer robert plant's robert the fucking Led Zeppelin. yeah yeah uh yeah i remember those videos too from the 80s you had all the girls who looked exactly the same and all had slick back hair from slick like they were yuppies no <laughs> connection so he's listening again on his Walkman, and he even says, I'm trying to listen to the new album by Robert Palmer. And Evelyn, they're in the back of a cab. He's got his headphones on, and Evelyn's just talking about, oh, and we'll have so-and-so be the chef, and, oh my god, a big-time photographer. Annie Leibovitz will take photos. I think we should do it, Patrick. And he goes, do what? Get married, have a wedding. And it's just in passing, like he's never proposed, she's never proposed. Mm-hmm. They're not even speaking to each other. Um, and she's very like, um, like one of the, because she, she works for the ACLU, right? That, that's what I remember hearing from the movie. Oh, I missed that. I think she was, she yeah, she worked for the ACLU. <laughs> well, Lewis makes a joke about the ACLU. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I believe they said okay. that earlier on in the movie uh, that she works there. So, but it's funny because she doesn't necessarily seem like someone who would work for the ACLU. No, more of just like kind of like showing off thing. You know, like oh, I work for the ACLU. Right. It, it reminds me of like when I would meet some at my work. We'd get some kids out of college, twenty three, twenty four, want to start working in the medical field, and they'll give like. They're, 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 uh, like how they went to Africa one time and for, uh, Habitat for Humanity and used a hammer a couple times and then posed with a bunch of black children. 
for a picture back home. Mm-hmm. That's what it mm-hmm. kind of means to me. That's what I'm picturing her as as okay. this as this who works a lawyer who works for the ACLU. I totally missed that, but okay. That's that's how I look at it because trust me, I worked with quite a few of those those people who are like, oh, I, yeah, I went to Africa and I worked and did I built a well. Yeah, yeah, like she's doing it for like something you can put on your resume. Right. She's a very very shallow yes. person, just, just like, like Patrick too. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, they're all going to dinner. Um, well, well oh, wait. I just want to finish the scene. Mm-hmm. He says he can't take the time off work to get married. And she <laughs> goes, your father owns the company. I don't even, she's like, I don't even know why you work. And he <laughs> takes the headphones off and he goes, because I want to fit in. And that's the end of that scene. Nah, that's but, how, and that's notable. That's something that's important to Patrick Bateman. Right. want to fit in. Because there's nothing inside of him mm-hmm. except for that need, or, or he knows he has to fit in. So yes, then then we get to our dinner scene, scene. and um, he's narrating this whole scene about who's fucking who because they they go to this dinner with like six other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is his friend, played by Justin Thoreau, um, Bryce. Another, Bryce. Another yeah. one is the, a coworker that he hates. Lewis, but he's but he's fucking, um, he's engaged to a girl that Patrick Bateman is fucking. Mm-hmm. And Samantha Massett, Mathis. Samantha Mathis, yeah. and I forgot Reese Witherspoon, who Patrick Bateman's fiance is fucking Bryce. Bryce, he thinks he he's thinks. not sure, but he doesn't care. <laughs> they flirt the whole time at dinner, and he just doesn't care. And he hates yeah. Lewis. Um, and then everyone starts talking about um, the problems in the world. Yeah. Kind of thing. So Patrick goes on this tangent about first world problems. He says, first we need to end apartheid and deal with the nuclear arms race. Uh, we need to stop terrorists. And he goes on about racial injustice and misogyny and women's rights. And it's all superficial he doesn't care. He doesn't give the, a the fuck. The whole table just kind of giggles. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I appreciate your humanity, Patrick, or something like that. It's all so insincere. Right, yeah. And it's funny because there's like these two goth artsy people there yes. too. And the, the female is actually kind of intrigued in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think he's partially kind of playing into that for, you know, to get booty sometimes. Maybe. I'm sure he's mm-hmm. done that before. Um... So after this, we follow Patrick, and he, I think he goes to an ATM, like an old old ATM. Yep, gets and cash he, out. And then he starts following this woman uh, very briefly, and they get to like a stoplight, and he stops like right next to her, and they, they share a look with each other, and he kind of just walks off with her, and then that scene ends, and then we get to Patrick Bateman yelling at these uh, workers at this uh, dry cleaners. Mm-hmm. And he's holding these sheets that are all bloody and everything, and he's telling them, um, you know, you, can't you get these out of here? These are, like, very expensive sheets kind of thing. And he's just going off on them, and they're yelling in Chinese to him. And he threatens the life of the woman in English. And she's not speaking English, but when she hears him threaten her life in English, she goes, <gasps> Yeah. She knows what he's saying. Right. And then they're just trying to get him out of there. Right. And yeah. that's when... Uh, a uh, a woman from his past mm-hmm. opens the door, and they have like a, a quick conversation. Um, it seems like 
Patrick probably fucked this girl a while back. <laughs> and he at least did. knew her, and she liked him. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. And um, it's a very quick scene, and nothing really ever comes of it, except maybe like a line or two at the end of the movie, but she plays uh, more of a predominant role in the book, yes. you told me. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll kind of get, we'll, we'll get to that a little later on. Um, we'll see what he does to her later on (laughs) because it's not in the movie no it's not and I wondered if maybe they filmed it but the more I think about it the more I think they couldn't there's no way they could film any version of that scene so Mm -hmm. they just mention it later yeah Um, our next scene is um, Patrick Bateman calls uh, Courtney which is Samantha Mathis Mm -hmm. um, and convinces her to go out and even though she's all drugged up on Xanax and everything she's like fucked up all the time way out of it way yeah yeah. she's like just not barely coherent half the time um he says he wants to go out and he she doesn't want to go out until he mentions dorcia and his dorcia is like the be all end all of yuppie restaurants for the rich Mm -hmm. it's the place to be it's the place to go you can never get a reservation unless you know someone yeah ever so uh, he says he'll he has uh, uh, reservations there when he doesn't, because whenever he calls Dorcia, they just laugh at him and hang up. Because <laughs> he actually do- convinces her to go out and then calls to make a reservation for that night, and they just cackle until he hands up, hangs up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny while this is happening, too. He's watching porn. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. He's watching, like, lesbian porn in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's- strange so they, they end up going out and she's just like passes out at the table and they're not even at dorcia and she doesn't even know it no. and it's funny because when they go to this restaurant there's like a bunch of old people in it and yeah. stuff it's clearly not i mean it's a nice restaurant but yeah and, and in the cab on the way there he said he mentions it more than once so i feel like it's noteworthy especially now when they're in the cab she has no idea what's going on she's totally out of it and he says is that Donald Trump's car? And he's like weirdly obsessed with the Trumps because he mentions it again. And in the 80s, that would be the person to be obsessed with. Yeah, like that was... That's, wanna be... that's your messiah right exactly. there. Exactly. Mr. President in the 80s was, yeah. was, was, was your guy. Who oh, yeah. also like did nothing for a living. And was a <laughs> yeah, as exactly. far as he knew. And so he goes, oh, is that Donald Trump's car? It's a funny little <laughs> wink, I think, to vast riches that you got from by doing nothing. Yes. Uh, so yeah, sorry. Then they're at quote unquote Dorcia and she literally falls asleep in her chair. <laughs> he orders for her. <laughs> Our next scene is the boardroom scene where... I mean, nothing, like, there's no meeting or anything that happens there. That we see, yeah. They're just hanging out. This is just the part where we meet Paul Allen. He is like their, uh, I'm kind of like their their Donald Trump right there in the room. He's like the the top guy. Yeah. He's the the best um, uh, business card. He He has the best title. Played by Jared Leto. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's just the guy that everyone wants to fuck, it seems like. He's just everyone's... That's the guy. Yeah. And he walks up to Patrick and calls him Halberstrand, Mm because he thinks... And then Patrick starts narrating, he thinks that I'm this loser 
Marcus Halberstrand, who's actually in the room because right. the the camera then pans to Halberstrand and he compares himself to him. And he's like, we even go to the same barber, but I have a stylist. Stylist. But I have a slightly better haircut. Uh, so he pretends to be Halberstrand for Paul Allen. And that's where we get our famous um, business card scene where yeah. all the guys in the boardroom are showing off their different business cards. And they're all in awe or hate of each other's business cards. But the funny thing is that they all look the same. Exactly the same. And Patrick goes into detail about the color, which is like eggshell, bone, off-white, which Mm -hmm. looks exactly the same to us. And the fonts are Cillian or blah, 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 whatever fancy fonts you can't afford if you just have (laughs) the word. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the the funny part is that they all look the same. And Paul Allen had given, uh, I want to say Justin Throw Bryce, mm-hmm. his card. Yeah. And so Bateman wants to see Paul Allen's card. So he gets Paul <laughs> Allen's card out. It looks just like the other cards. <laughs> uh, but Patrick Bateman thinks it looks better. He starts to sweat. He looks really upset. And he goes, oh my God. It even has a watermark. And when I was 20 years old and saw this movie in the theaters, I didn't even know what a watermark was. Now I know full well what a watermark is, and I did not even see a watermark on this card, which makes it even funnier, I think. Because all the cards look identical to each other. Uh, So yeah, this jealousy that he has. And from this scene, we go to the homeless man scene. Uh, Patrick is walking down like an alley and sees like this homeless dude coughing and he's got like a little dog with him and he goes up to him and he's like um, offers offers him help at the same time he's insulting them <laughs> so um, he's get a like fucking job Al. <laughs> right yeah, yeah he gets a, he knows the homeless man's name he it, it seems like he's pulling out his wallet to give him money and Al is just all happy like oh please thank you and everything even though Patrick scared. Bateman yeah. is also insulting him too mm-hmm. while he's doing all this and then um, Patrick just pulls out a knife and stabs the guy to death and then stomps the dog to death yeah. and leaves and that's the kind of like no turning back part of Patrick because before then you can kind of see him as just like a a, a fucking asshole. Yeah. But at this point on you see him as a psycho or as a villain or as the bad guy of this movie. You've never seen him be a monster before. Right. Really. You've sort of, he's alluded to it but this is the first time you see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And then from there we go to the Christmas party where all of Patrick's like uh, partners are and everything, including Paul Allen. He's with there with Evelyn. He can't fucking stand her, and he's just he's kind so of so mean to her. Yeah, and he's just kind of focused on Paul. And they they speak, and then end up having a uh, dinner at like this Mexican restaurant. Yeah, he invite. This is where he invites Paul to dil- to dinner, knowing and Paul still thinks he's Marcus Halberstrand, uh-huh. which is what he wants because he puts the dinner res- reservations under Marcus. And takes him to a place where, a Mexican restaurant where nobody goes. Mm-hmm, yeah. He doesn't want anybody to witness his dinner. dinner. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so the next scene is the dinner. So yeah, they're pretty shitty to like the server and everything. They're asking for things that aren't on the fucking menu. 
Yeah. And it's just like, it's kind of cringy in a way because you see these workers and you're just like, all right, yeah. like, these fucking assholes will get you whatever you want, whatever. Kind and of again, Patrick says, is that Ivana Trump? And he goes, no. <laughs> what would she be doing at so-and-so, Texarkana or whatever? Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they end up getting kind of drunk there and head back to Patrick's place. Um, where he starts blasting some CDs, which is funny because, like, late 80s, that's when CDs were really still new. And mm -hmm. Patrick just has, like, a shitload of CDs. I mean, CDs were, I think, were 20 bucks, maybe even, like, 25 bucks a pop back then. I got my first one, I think I was, like, 13. This was, like, 1993 when I got my first yeah. CD, and they were expensive. Um, so, yeah, playing Huey Lewis in the news, hip to be square. And this is when you really start to hear him monologue about music. And the monologues that he has about music are also kind of chilling because they're so scholarly. He doesn't actually feel anything. The music isn't making him feel anything. He's just talking about the things that he learned about. Maybe this is what the lyrics are about. And mm. this is when they came out with such and such album. Um, so I really wanted to talk about the monologuing of the music mm -hmm. because this is the first, but definitely not the last. And when he monologues, it's it's equally frightening, I think, because he's not indulging in music. He doesn't care about music. It's very villainous. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of the times in movies, you'll have a villain talk about the dastardly thing he's done or is about to do to our, yeah. our hero. And um, the, then the execution never really comes. Uh, when you're talking about like James Bond movies, like yeah, Mr. Bond, you know, yeah, those, right. those those things. But <laughs> this one, he's actually his monologue is precursor to death. Yeah. So it always is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and Paul is wasted, and he's mm -hmm. sitting on a chair in the middle he, that is surrounded by plastic and newspapers mm -hmm. because Patrick's cleared all that out and covered it in plastic and newspapers. And he's like, "What's with all the newspapers? Mm -hmm. Do you have a dog?" And then he turns around to Patrick, and Patrick's putting on plastic, right. like a raincoat. He's like, are you wearing a raincoat? Yeah. And Patrick's like, yes, I am, Paul. <laughs> he's going on about Huey Lewis in the news. And it's just like, these uh, Paul is just oblivious to yeah. anything. Wasted. And, yeah. and I'm not even talking, I'm like, yeah, he's drunk. He's not like slobbering all over himself drunk, blackout drunk. He's just an oblivious person who's just drunk. Who's also drunk. You're Who right. Who just yeah. doesn't have a clue about anything going on around him. Mm -hmm. So self-absorbed that he doesn't even notice kind of yeah. thing. And then Patrick dances for a while, then plugs him with a fucking axe. Yeah, he's still talking about Huey Lewis in the news. He gets an axe out from a back room. And right up until the point of impact... I wish I could remember the last thing he says about Huey Lewis in the news. But then he goes, hey, Paul! And then just hits him square in the face with an mm. axe, which you don't see. Right. That's, again, gore that they could show, but they didn't. Right. All you see is Paul's blood splattering all over Patrick's face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really don't see the actual, um, like insertions really in this movie of the violence of Patrick Bateman. Yeah. They it's mostly the aftermath which makes sense now like after seeing the movie a bunch and, and knowing and thinking if he's really doing these things or not and once you get to the end of the movie you kind of figure out that maybe he isn't. Yeah. 
probably isn't and that you don't see the the exact point of insertion because it never really happened but what i love about this movie and what the book doesn't do the book is really really dark there's no humor at all and i just think you can't do a movie that way and i feel like mary heron knew that Uh because while he's hacking up paul allen he's also screaming he's jealous of paul allen and that paul allen can get a reservation at dorsia so he's screaming about like get a reservation at dorsia now you motherfucker (laughs) staring him up which is funny Mm -hmm. and meant to be funny yes it is and it all depends on tone too the way you do things i mean you can easily make this into a horrific scene but the way it's done it's done in partial hilarity yeah um so of course he ends up ditching paul's body with all the plastic and everything he uh goes over to paul's apartment and starts packing a bag for him Mm mm-hmm uh, to make it seem like he left on a trip so like no one will suspect it was him that did it. Um, and he also mentions that his apartment's nicer, right? Or it... Well, he does. No, he does. It's overlooking the park. It's clearly more expensive. So yeah. he's still jealous of Paul Allen. <laughs> you know, he's Even dead. though he's killed him. Yeah. Um, so the next, uh, I don't think it's the next day, but I think it's sometime from there on mm-hmm. that uh, Patrick is back in his office while Lady in Red is playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, his uh, assistant, Chloe, uh, by Chloe Savini, um, tells Patrick that he has um, somebody there for him. And while this is happening, he has his headphones on and he's doodling in his, like, his book. Mm-hmm. We only catch, like, a real quick second of what he's putting, like, drawing and writing in there. Yeah, at that point, you really don't see You really anything. don't see anything going, what he's, what he's writing or working on at that point in time. Um... She says that there's a te- detective there to speak to him about uh, something. So um, he le- she lets him in, and that's when we get to meet um, what's his fucking Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Detective Campbell, and he starts um, having like a, a back and forth about does he know Paul Allen? Where were you on this night? He's asking the same questions over again, trying to you know. Right, because Paul Allen's missing. Mm-hmm. We don't know why. Yeah, yeah, and this uh, detective's trying to find him. He's getting other reports from other people. Um, of course, like he's getting other people's names wrong, or like, uh, or he's like well, not necessarily getting them wrong, but like uh, he's saying that oh, this person was doing this when it was actually probably Patrick, kind of thing. Like, because. Mm-hmm. At the same time, like, no one knows each other's name. <laughs> like, everyone looks the same kind of thing. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, and I never thought of this until you mentioned it this last time we watched it, but you mentioned that you thought even the detective wasn't real, that it was sort of part of Patrick's subconscious. Yeah, kind of. Because, like, there's... Because uh, his character kind of... Like, it, it isn't... Willem Dafoe's character isn't necessarily like a, a stable stable character in reality because mm-hmm. he seems his mood and his uh, his mood kind of changes and his questioning changes throughout each time you see him in this movie, which is only three times. He questions Patrick twice in his office, mm-hmm. and then they have a lunch together at that same Mexican restaurant. I'm pretty sure. Are you sure? I, don't I think, think that was. It is. I think it was more like a, a like a barish kind of. All right, agree to disagree on that. I don't know. But anyway, I was. I had never thought of that, 
mm-hmm. that maybe even the detective wasn't real. I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. Right. Yeah, and that's a it's a possibility. Yeah. So Patrick's alibi is really shaky. He can't exactly remember where he was, but it doesn't look like the detective. I mean, he's a little suspicious, but <laughs> it's not it's nothing that Patrick should be concerned about. Right. And that and then Patrick says I have a lunch meeting with Cliff, Cliff Huxtable at 4.30. <laughs> so again, it's this pop culture reference right? Yeah, that just reinforces that Patrick's personality is not real. And then we get a new scene, uh, our, a new scene, our next scene where it's just Patrick working out to Pat, Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah, in the background. Yeah, he's just doing crunches in front of a TV playing the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> I wonder if he like worked out during the whole movie, just <laughs> that scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is when the movie, I think, really kind of starts to pick up right now. Mm-hmm. It is when, um, when uh, uh, Patrick Bateman picks up a prostitute and um, gets a call girl and ends up telling him that his name is Paul Allen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he uh, drives the, the prostitute back to his place, asks her to clean up really well, and because, um, I mean, well, you know, she's a prostitute, first of all, right? She, yeah, right. she gives her a bath, and yeah. she washes herself really well. And during this time, he ends up calling a, a call girl to join them also. And I think it's important that in the soundtrack right now, you're hearing, if you don't know, be by, by now. I forget who sings it. If you don't know me by now. Okay. I, mean, I, I don't know who does it, but I do know the song. Yeah. Yes. It's creepy, I think. Um, and this is when, once again, like uh, when two, the two women uh, are sitting on the couch and everything. This is when uh, Patrick starts to do the whole monologue thing again. Yeah. And... Um, I, what is he talking about this time? I forgot. In Too Deep by Genesis. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the beginning of the Phil Collins. Right. Um, and he's talking about Phil Collins, and then he's talking about the Phil Collins solo career. And while he's doing it, he's just not, like, standing still. He's, like, moving around, setting things up. He's setting up a video camera because he's going to film the threesome that he's eventually going to have with these women. And he's directing the women, mm-hmm. too. Take off your clothes. Like, he would say something about what he's talking about and then just interject with... Start doing this, you yeah. know, then continue on with this this, uh, this story there, which is really mm-hmm. funny. If you... <laughs> um, and then the threesome begins, and Susu Studio begins playing, <laughs> and this is probably my favorite scene of the yeah. movie. One, because you get to see naked women, and two, like, you get to see a part of him in his reflection uh, when he's, like, doing this to girl doggy style, and he's flexing his muscle and looking in the mirror while he's doing it. And it, it, it's just the epitome of this fucking movie, that one shot right there. And it's my favorite scene of the movie. It's real quick, but it's it's <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, he, he's only mugging for the camera and for the mirror. He really doesn't care about these women. I don't no. even think he's getting enjoyment out of having sex with them. It's all mm. about looking at himself. Yeah. So they end up having a good old fuck fest, uh, to which the girls pass out in bed with him. Um, one of the girls accidentally touches him and wakes him up and he's kind of disgusted by it he gets up and the girls are starting to leave and then that's when he says why are you leaving we're not over yet yeah we're not done yet and then he opens up one of his drawers and there's like all these different tools in there like uh knives and all this shit you'd see like a, a a surgery table there 
And he pulls out a coat hanger. Yes, that's the one thing. We're not done yet. Right. Uh, And the next scene is just the the girls leaving his apartment. He's standing by the door, handing handing them money. And they're, they don't, you don't get to see like their face or anything. You just see them walking out. You don't see really any expression. The only expression you need to see is in their, their body. Um, and they, the, the prostitute ends up just snatching the money, getting the fuck out of yeah. there. And the call girl who can barely fucking walk, just grabs the money and takes off. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this is a, like, again, once again, there's that, that switch that, is is uh is pulled or, or pushed or whatever. His mask so, slips off. Right, yeah. and then he becomes the villain. Uh, and then that's when our, our we next go to another scene where he's drinking with guys or objectifying women and everything. Um, he's talking about like how fat girls need to have good personalities because no one will want to fuck them kind of thing. And he's not exactly involved in the conversation, but he is laughing with them. And they're talking about, they say there are no girls with good personalities, and they all laugh about it. Mm-hmm. They talk about the perfect woman, and the perfect woman is beautiful, and she just shuts her fucking mouth. Right. And the thing that Patrick interjects with <laughs> is a quote from Ed Gain. And they're all like, oh, who's Ed Gain? And they're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, he was a serial killer from Wisconsin. And he would look at a woman and say, I, you know, I would want to get to know her and take her out to dinner. There are two things that I would think. The first thing was I'd want to get to know her and take her out of dinner, out to dinner, and then Bryce is like, "What's the other thing?" And he goes, Patrick goes, "What her head would look like on a stick." And, and everyone he just like and they he all laughs. get awkward, yeah. Right, and that's when Lewis comes back to the table and he shows off his business card that looks exactly like everyone else. Yep. And then Patrick kind of flips out. Well, he flips out internally. You can see it right. happening. Like, this dude that he fucking hates has a better card, I guess, than him. And he ends up approaching Lewis in the bathroom while he's taking a whiz. And he's about to choke Lewis. And Lewis turns around and is kind of surprised because he likes Patrick in a sexual way. Mm-hmm. And he's happy that he joined him in the bathroom. And this kind of, like, Patrick doesn't know what to do at this point. He, he's going in there to kill the guy, possibly, yeah. to where, like, there are a series of events have led him to something that he did not expect. Yeah. To which he re- replies to replies to um, uh, Lewis that, because um, Lewis was like, oh, I've never, you know, in a million years kind of expected something like this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then Patrick just replies with, I have to return some VHS tapes. Videotapes. <laughs> that's the last time he says that. No, yeah. <laughs> but it's, and that's another interesting moment, I think, because homosexuality is widely condemned in the 80s. And I really don't think that Patrick Bateman gives a shit about homosexuality. But the fact that it's not widely accepted is what really upsets him about this. <laughs> That's what I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that's when we get our next scene with uh, Detective Campbell again, where he's re-interviewing Patrick about stuff, trying to, it kind of s- seems like, he doesn't tell him everything at first, but when Patrick starts to tell him, he's like, yeah, I kind of know that already, because mm-hmm. this and this and this. Maybe trying to trip him up just a little bit, but uh, it doesn't work this time. Um, he, uh, uh, So Willem Dafoe then yeah. pulls out this CD from his his briefcase and goes, Hugh Lewis in the news, great stuff. (laughs) Patrick Bateman, like, 
Blanches a little bit. And he's like, no, I like music, but Huey's a little too black sounding. Again, he wants to fit in with this rich, elite, white group. And now this lame detective dude has a CD. He's like, oh, I can't do that now. Kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, It leads us to our next scene where he fucks Courtney again. And um, this scene's pretty quick. It's like, uh, it seems like she wants to leave. The other guy, Lewis, and, and... It seems like she doesn't want any part of this life at all. Yeah, she's... And it's yeah. so sad to watch her. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't care. He's completely oblivious, and he just leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Then he ends up meeting Bryce at this club where they're doing blow in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. This is why I noticed that Justin Theroux, who has brown eyes, mm-hmm. is wearing blue contacts in this movie, which, why? I don't know, but okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe um, had more of a part. Uh, I would, I would say probably just to, to. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I knew there was a reason that Justin Thorell looked weird. Maybe his finally... character in the book had blue eyes. Maybe, but that's so dumb. I mean, well, I mean, his part is not huge. Well, think of what they did to Daniel Radcliffe in the first Harry Potter movie. Yeah, you know, they flipped out about how he doesn't. Have well, green well, they eyes. well yeah. in the first one they they changed his eyes to to whatever color they're supposed to be but Green. then they they just went back to normal for like yeah. the rest of the movies and didn't even bother it kind That's of thing true. and so. the same with Kristen Stewart she was supposed to have brown eyes so she wore brown contacts throughout the series huh. but for this character I don't know I, we're getting off on a tangent but like for this <laughs> character what does it even matter and okay. yeah they're doing doing the blow and like people in the bath in the bathroom stall and this, this club's all busy and like people are yelling at each other to be quiet while they do blow. <laughs> they, yeah. They're not even pooping or peeing. They're just doing coke in the bathroom. Like, Justin who does Theroux, that in the bathroom? Like, starts a fight with the guy in the next stall. Right. <laughs> and they end up leaving the bathroom and hooking up with some ladies I guess they met before. And one of them, uh, I, I believe, asks Patrick what he does. And he says, murders and executions. Mostly. Instead of mergers yeah. and ex- acquisitions. And she doesn't even blink. She's like, do you like it? Because most men I talk to who are into mergers and acquisitions mm-hmm. don't like it. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of intrigued that she even right. <laughs> knows. Yeah. So, yeah, we um, at the end of the scene, they're on the street talking. And she's like, oh, you th- probably think I'm stupid and everything. Mm-hmm. And, he, uh, and then still there, takes her <laughs> home. Still takes her yeah. home. And uh, wasn't there something, too... I believe that shows that like he murdered her. Wasn't there like something right after that? Not necessarily like with bloody sheets like there was in the one scene where he walks with the woman where oh, it leads him to he's the He's got a lock of hair. Ah yeah. yes. So in the in the next scene he's rubbing this lock of hair on his face. In his office, right. Filling out, yeah. Well Chloe comes in and he like quickly hides the, the lock of hair in yeah. his pocket. She's, uh, he's doing a crossword, and Chloe's like, oh, do you need help? And you get to see his crossword, and all he's writing in is meat, bone, in, like, every <laughs> single slot. That's right. all he's writing. So he kind of asks uh, asks his secretary out, and he's like, you can go wherever you want. She's kind of like, uh, wherever's fine kind of thing, you know. Uh, and he's like, how about Doris? Or, and then she says Dorcia, and he's like, mm-hmm. fuck, kind of thing. You're like, damn it, this is the one place I can't get into. Yeah. So he makes up a fake phone call, but like, yeah, we're getting into Dorcia. Mm-hmm. And then, um, <laughs> like, he totally didn't get the reservation. Because like, you the guy can on the hear phone the guy on the line, yeah. Say, like, didn't you hear what I said? There's no, there's no availabilities. He's like, <laughs> all right, eight sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he tells her to change before dinner, too, in which she kind of, like, semi-scoffs at like, oh, I don't know, yeah. good enough kind of thing. And she notices he, he doesn't give a name to make the reservation. She's like, he <laughs> She's like, give a name. And he's like, oh, they know me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our next scene is back at uh, Patrick's apartment with Chloe. And um, once again, he's kind of doing his monologuing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then he asks her, like, uh, or he starts talking about Ted Bundy, and she has no idea who Ted Bundy is. Yeah. Um, we just get to see more of Patrick's apartment. He opens up his fridge. We see uh, a decapitated head in there. <laughs> and we get to figure figure out that he's just trying to find how he's going to kill her. Yeah. Uh, so he has, like, this... Uh, Huge ass nail gun <laughs> that he puts up to her head, but then right at that point in time, Evelyn calls and uh, leaves a message on his machine and everything, and which totally like ruins the mood for everything right there. Mm-hmm. Ruins the potential dinner that Chloe thinks they might be going out on. Ruins the potential kill that Patrick may be getting this time around. Um, and then. Patrick kind of was just like, you know, I think you should kind of leave. You shouldn't stick around. Right and now. he just says, I'm afraid I won't be able to control myself. Right, yes. Which mm-hmm. she would think, like, oh, he's going to try and fuck me. Right. But in reality, he's just going to try and murder you, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And on, on the message, I think it's interesting. Evelyn says, by Mr. Big Time CEO. And it just makes me think, is he a CEO? <sighs> or did he tell Evelyn that he was a CEO? Like, Regardless, it doesn't matter. Right. It, it does nothing yes. all day. But, okay. <laughs> uh, this is our third scene uh, with the Detective Campbell. And uh, you think it, this plays out at the Mexican restaurant. I think this is like an Irish pub. Maybe. Um, but it, he pretty much just says that uh, that uh, Paul probably ran off. He's This is like this follow-up interview to kind of dot all mm-hmm. the eyes, uh, And that, yeah, he... Ran off, and then Patrick's in the clear kind of thing. That Patrick probably fucked up some of the dates. Yeah, but Patrick's still really sweaty, and since you mentioned that maybe the detective isn't real, that's all I can think about in the Mm -hmm. scenes. Because Patrick doesn't seem soothed that the detective doesn't care, or says it's... I don't know. Oh, I, I think... It kind of destroys his ego in a little bit too, okay. Because he wants to, uh, he wants to fit in, but he, I, I think he also kind of wants to show off. But when his work is, isn't appreci- isn't appreciated, it kind of pisses him off a little bit You're too. Totally right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's kind of disappointed. So he's fucked either way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he's okay. a psychopath. He's never going to be happy. Right. Um, so after the scene, we get to see him in his limo again. Pick up that same prostitute he picked up before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has, like, a big old wad of cash, but she's like, no, you really fucked me up last time. I, I had to go to the hospital, and I might have to have surgery for what you did to me. But he's like, I swear it's not going to happen again. Just get in. Here's a lot of money. Um, let's get in. We'll talk. And then that's when they go back to Paul Allen's apartment, but Christian uh, Patrick Bateman says that, no, this is my other place. And the prostitute's like, well, this place is way better. It's <laughs> nice to your other apartment, which, of course, makes him sweat and yeah. angry. Um, and this is where we meet Guinevere Turner, who plays Elizabeth, who's a friend of some sort. Mm-hmm. But I, it's important to me because she co-wrote the screenplay. This actor yes. co-wrote the screenplay with Mary Heron. And she just kind of seems like she's a friend of Patrick Bateman's. Somehow. Like, yeah, we yeah. really don't know anything about her at all. Yeah. But um, they're in... 
Paul Allen's apartment, started drinking, uh, then one thing leads to another again, and all three of them are in the bedroom, uh, fucking and everything, and then the prostitute starts to get out of bed so she can make her getaway because she doesn't want to stick around again for what might happen. Mm -hmm. But while she's doing this, uh, Patrick is going down on her. Ooh, I want to back up real quick. Okay. Because this is the Whitney Houston monologue. Uh huh. So while they're talking, oh yes, his monologue again before he's he goes monologuing about Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all. I feel all the music monologues are important. I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes. So. so then, so then he starts to go down on her, and the prostitute's trying to get away, and then that's and this is th- something I didn't notice the first few times going through this movie. Is that he bites on her vagina. You don't get to see it at all. You just hear her scream and the blood pool into the sheets. But, like, I didn't know, like, I'm, it could have been a thigh or whatever. But I never really thought of it. It was her vagina yeah. he was biting down on. Pops up, his face is covered in blood. And then that's when he starts chasing the prostitute around with a chainsaw. And she thwarts him and... She sees all these bodies, though. She yeah. She discovers all the bodies that he's been hiding in the apartment. Right, and they're rotting. And, mm-hmm. and so she runs down the stairs of his apartment building. And that's when he throws down the chainsaw. And while he's doing this, he's completely naked. Crazy. So is she, yeah. Running around with his <laughs> chainsaw. I think but he does have sneakers on. He has on. sneakers on, yeah. <laughs> the whitest sneakers I've ever seen. <laughs> And you think she gets away, and he throws the chainsaw down, and he gets her, blammo, she dies. <laughs> that's the end of that scene. And that's the end of that yeah. scene. And that's where we pick up with a dinner at Evelyn's, where um, or he's at, having dinner with Evelyn, and while he's sketching shit. <laughs> yeah, he's sketching the actual chainsaw, like the scene that you just saw, because he looks down the stairs... And he can see the prostitute with the chainsaw sticking out of her. This is what he sees. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to a scene where that's what he's sketching. And then you see that he's at dinner with Evelyn while he's sketching this. Right. And, like, she just keeps kind of going on. And he breaks up with her. And mm-hmm. she's just not hearing him at all. <laughs> she's he's like, like I need to commit murder on a massive scale. <laughs> this is what he's saying. Whether it's out loud or not, we don't really know. Mm-hmm. Evelyn's not hearing it. Mm-hmm. And then just hears that he wants to break up. And right. She starts to cry. Yeah. Just oblivious to yeah. all the shit he's saying. Even if he's saying it or not kind of thing. We're not 100% sure, of course. Yeah. And then he's he's like, I'm leaving. I've assessed the situation, and I'm leaving. And he just gets up. I have to return some videotapes. Yeah. And he takes off. <laughs> And that's where we get to see him outside. He goes to an ATM and he's going to get money out. And the ATM reads, feed me a cat. A cat. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the point, the real point in time to where you're figuring out that this dude's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, so he starts to feed the ATM the cat and this old woman goes, uh, is walking by and is like, you're not serious, are you? And to where I believe he kills her. He shoots her in the he head. shoots her. <laughs> The cops start showing up. Um, he starts shooting at the cops, and he's like a dead aim. They're not hitting him at all. He's blasting the cops, and it's very like death wishy in a way. To where like he'll he'll pose in the street and fire and hit. You know, it's, yeah. It's very like seventies, eighties detective gangster movie ish kind of thing. To where he thinks he's like in this 
serial of where you're never going to get me, copper, yeah. and bam, bam, bam. But he, he, he actually, doesn't talk like that or anything. No, like. and he actually blows up a cop car with one shot, and even mm-hmm. he's surprised that that <laughs> yeah. happened. And that's all in the book. Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's all this mayhem in this scene, and even he can't believe that this is happening. Because it's probably it not. Probably not. Yeah. So he goes to this one building where you think it's his work building, and he's told to sign in, and he just shoots the security guard and walks out of the building. <laughs> yeah. Walks into another building, uh, same-looking kind of building, and goes to the security guard. And it looks like he's going to shoot the security guard, but he just pulls out a pen and yeah, signs in. Yeah, his jacket, pulls out this nice, uh, like, pen, and then... signs in, and then points at the security guard like, yeah, I did it. And then goes up to his office and... That's where he calls his lawyer, and his lawyer is not available, but he leaves him a message uh, telling him everything that he's done throughout the movie and the things that we haven't seen in the movie, mm-hmm. but did occur in the book. A and one of them, them yeah. is that one woman we met in the dry cleaners, they do end up meeting on meeting up later on in the book or in the story at some point, and he actually says on the phone to the lawyer lawyer what he did to her now can kind you of. give us uh just a general idea of what patrick does to her in the book? yeah he he actually he doesn't say what he did to her he just mentions that he killed her like an old friend right exactly yeah. yeah but in the book it, it's really really horrible i'm not going to go into it because i I was reading it actually on the bus in the morning on the way to work and I had to get off the bus because I thought I was going to throw up. I really thought I was going to throw up. And I've never had such a visceral reaction to a book before. I don't want to talk about it. It involves uh, her throat. It involves a rat. And it is horrible. Uh, Doesn't it involve a vagina too? or I kind of. It starts with her mouth. And rat, it's awful. <laughs> I'm getting nauseous now. Like I said, I had to get off the bus, and I almost threw up in some rich neighborhood on the way to work. Um, so yeah, so that's one of his confessions, although he just mentions it in passing. And I do think that's probably like fan... What's the word I'm looking for? Fan... Fantastic. No. Thick. Paying homage to the Fanfic. Fan. Fan, no, not fanfic, because he doesn't... Oh, fanfic oh. is like fake writing. Oh, 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, why can't uh, I think of the term? I know, it, it, like what they did with... Uh, people said they did with Game of Thrones on the last season, where they, it was... Um, like playing to the fans. Right, yeah, I, I know that. People who read the book, he's mentioning all these murders that you didn't actually see, but did happen in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he gets more and more crazy <laughs> just yeah he's like shouting these things through his yeah. lord he's very distressed when this is all going on and he's like i guess i'm just a pretty sick guy <laughs> he goes it, it gets nuts but again we haven't talked about how this could have been leonardo dicaprio's role yeah and i'm so so grateful that it wasn't mary heron always wanted christian bale and it was christian bale and then it wasn't it was leonardo dicaprio and then Leonardo DiCaprio couldn't do it, and so Mary Heron got Christian Bale, which is who she wanted the whole time. Because I think he was doing the beach. Yeah. yeah. And thank God. Yeah. Because Leonardo DiCaprio could not have pulled it off, at least not no. then. No. And he couldn't have pulled it off ten years later because he would have been too old. Right. Um, but I feel like Christian Bale really got the 
just maniacal humor that comes with this movie. Because he even said, like, I just had to kill a lot of people. Mm. And the way he delivers the lines are so funny. And he's crying and he's a mess. And then he says something like, I tried to eat their brains. (laughs) And I tried to cook a little. So I'm going to be at so-and-so bar tomorrow. Just keep your eyes open. And he's so (laughs) upset, but there's something so funny about the line delivery. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I wanted to mention Leo DiCaprio because, thank God, Mm. that didn't happen. Anyway. And when this is all over, he ends up going back to Paul Allen's place, which is empty by now. Um, Well, not by now, but it's just an empty apartment. And it's kind of confusing to him because all this going on right now is real to him. This is real, real shit. To where uh, the audience now is is kind of questioning everything, or has been questioning a lot of things going on from this point. So he gets to the apartment, and there's this woman who's showing it off and asking him if he had an appointment or not, or where he, if he read it in the Times about this. And he's like, "Yeah, I did." And to which she finds out he's lying and yeah, asks him like, to leave. There was no ad in the Times. Right. I think you should go. And he ends up, and yeah, he like checked. The closet where the bodies were hanging and stuff. There's nothing in there except paint cans. And then he ends up leaving there. Um, he ends up calling Chloe uh, from his uh, from a, a payphone because he's completely flipping out about what's going on. And she kind of seems like a person who who isn't someone he right a person he doesn't hang out with. Someone completely not like him. Someone who will actually listen to him. Yeah. And so he calls her, and because he's flipping out about things. And at this point, when they're... I don't know about you, but when I first saw this movie, at this point in the story, when he's talking to the realtor and the realtor kicks him out, there, it never occurred to me that the murders didn't happen. At least when I saw the movie at first. I just thought, oh, rich people can get away with anything. True, That's yeah. That's what I thought. And yeah. so I'm still not, uh, the end can be sort of nebulous. Like, maybe he didn't do it. Maybe rich people get away with anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, calls Chloe. Mm-hmm. Chloe tries to help, and he just flips out, hangs up. Uh, and then she finds his notebook with mm-hmm. all the shitty things that he thinks he's done or wants to do. And like I was saying before, um, in this notebook, um, there's a lot of... Uh, homages to the book in there with like the nasty things he did to people or he said he did to people in the book which are featured very very briefly in his notebook while chloe's kind of flipping through it and horrified Mm -hmm. at what she's seeing um patrick um ends up going to the bar and uh where his lawyer said he was going to be and of course a bunch of his friends are there too uh, and he goes there to tell him that he killed Paul Allen and all the things that he's done. And the lawyer's like, what are you talking about? That was a really funny message you left me. He doesn't even think it's Patrick Bateman. thinks it's a totally different guy again. Yeah. And, and he calls s- Patrick Bateman a loser. And he ends, um, like, it, it, it seems like there's a big bunch of confusion with the lawyer and Patrick. But Patrick is like, all I said to you was real. I'm Patrick Bateman. The lawyer's like, I don't think this is funny anymore. And uh, Patrick says, I killed Paul Allen. And the lawyer's like, no, you didn't because it's impossible. I had lunch with him not too long ago, or a week in ago London. in London. Yeah. So um, then everything kind of just clicks from there. All the things that he's done, possibly, maybe, 
I would say the hooker was real. At least the first time he fucked the hooker and the call girl, I think that was real. Maybe. But not the second time yeah. around. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. Um, because the lawyer, and he's not the first one, the lawyer says... The only flaw in your prank call was saying you were Patrick Bateman. Because right. Patrick is such a dork. He right, never yeah. do any of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're right. Maybe some of it was real. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's when Patrick, uh, the lawyer, leaves. And Patrick is ends up just sitting back with uh, the rest of his pals and everything. Bryce is back and he's drinking mineral water because mm-hmm. he, this is in the book, Bryce just disappears, and then Bryce comes back, and he's been in rehab. That's not clear at all in the movie, but it, it was interesting to me how they handled it, because in the book, it's sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Patrick just kind of just sits back, and, like, nothing of this happened. And it's not like he, he feels relief or anything. It's just that it, it kind of reverts him back to, like, the beginning of the movie, to where it's just this... There's this empty shell sitting here, and no one fucking knows at all about him. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Inside doesn't matter, mm-hmm. is what he keeps saying. Yeah. That's where the movie ends. And it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of anticlimactic. Um, there's no big finale. There's no big shootout. There's no big gore scene or anything like that. The movie just ends. And that's it. And that's the end of the story. There's no... The villain isn't killed. Um... You don't get to find out what really, really might have happened or what didn't happen. or It leaves it all up to you in a way. Um, and so, yes, I recommend this movie. I definitely do, too. I, and I recommend the novel, too. I recommend Brett Easton Ellis. His whole thing, I made the mistake of reading American Psycho, The Rules of Attraction, and Less Than Zero all, like, one after another. That's a mistake. It's really, really depressing. But each of those books is about excess like if you grow up with everything how can you feel anything yeah if nothing can touch you then who are you really and that's what this movie is about that's what the novel was about and it's chilling yeah all right thank you guys for joining us this week and we will be back next week thanks for listening 